This is exactly right. Is it on? Is yeah, it on? maybe. Is it on? That's how you do it. We brought a friend. A best friend. Did you hear about our new um, producer that replaced Steven? <laughs> it's kind of a big get. Kind of a huge get in Hollywood. Yeah, he took a little bit of a numbers break. <laughs> he took a bit of a pay cut. Uh-huh. Yeah. Here, listen Re- to this ahead. note. This, this, this is waiting backstage. for us backstage. Karen in Georgia, society wants to believe it can identify evil people or bad or harmful people, but it's not practical. There are no stereotypes. We serial killers are your sons. We are your husbands. (laughs) We are everywhere. I don't feel guilty for anything. I feel sorry for people who feel guilt. Now go get your, get your head in the game. You gotta get your, get your head in the game. Zac Efron as Ted Bundy. <laughs> Pretty amazing. But wait, here's the real note. <clears throat> Hope you enjoy your new backstage guest. <laughs> Don't help him with a boat if he asks. <laughs> Can't wait for your show. Minneapolis Murderinos, Adriana and Courtney. Well done. Ladies. Well done. Let's get let's get this guy out of here. You feel upstaged by Zach Efron, I don't do. you? I do. Fucking, she didn't want to bring him out. His beauty. No, I did. You just threw me right under the, <laughs> yeah. the VW Just bug. like you <laughs> threw him under the fucking... <laughs> Was that rude? No, not at all. We do what we want. Hi, everybody. Hey, We want to tell you about uh, when you guys stood up, it made me think of the, the one girl in the front row who didn't realize last night that everyone else had sat down. And it was so sweet and earnest. And alone. <laughs> it was the funniest because for one second, we were kind of like this and starting to talk. And for one second, I thought she was going to be like, um, excuse me. And I was like, oh, shit. Here we go at the fucking customer service at the top of the show. But then I saw her hands go like this, like a li- she was like a little raccoon, <laughs> like bring it on, whatever you have to say. And then I'm like, oh, she has no idea the standing ovation is over. Oh, we've it was all the been best. There. Then she looked at, behind her and sat down immediately. Was, and then we called her shit out hard. Poor thing. It was the best. Poor thing. It's really the ultimate compliment. <laughs> Just an extended standing ovation that doesn't end. <laughs> It doesn't end even though nothing's happening. Mm. How's it going? How are you? Real good yourself. Good, thanks. <laughs> thanks for having us back here. We're really yes. excited. Awesome. This is our fucking, this is the last city of our five-month tour. Ah. God bless you. Thank you. This God. is... This is exciting. Bless you all. That's <laughs> we appreciate you letting us finally stop. Oh. Our agent will not. <laughs> it's really, no. It's the best. We love it. It's been two seasons. 
uh, of of the year. Yes. (laughs) Five full months. The winter spring tour. (laughs) Just call it the half yearly sale. Um, and I wanted to show you, so as you guys know, maybe, or you don't, um, after the show, we go back to our hotel rooms, usually with food and chicken strips, <laughs> and we both turn on forensic files. It is always on. Thank it's, you, HLN. Thank you, HLN. It's so comforting. And lately, um, like this weekend, basically, I've been noticing new episodes that I've never seen before, which is so, because I think they had like 20 episodes, and you're like, I know this one. His head is this, and whatever. <laughs> Or Vince, even Vince will be like, I've seen this one. I'm like, I love you. Um, so now there's a couple new ones, which means more great hairstyles to to laugh about. And people who are just, what's happening with them? The thing is that it, the early 90s didn't seem that weird when they no. were happening. But they don't hold up. Uh-uh. But do you wonder, like, I always think, well, now we look normal. But then I look at the early 2000s and I'm like, what the fuck was I wearing? For real. I had piercings in face in the face and, like, I just don't know. It's not good. My mom, I used to come down the stairs and my mom would go, you're not wearing that to the dentist. <laughs> I'd just be like, what's wrong with you? You look like a hobo. And then I see pictures from then. I look exactly like a hobo. <laughs> Like huge jeans with rips like all the way, like no middle jean, just top and bottom. <laughs> Shit that, like if you walked in the dentist, the dentist would be like, I, what's going on in her mouth? Yeah. Oh, this isn't going to be fun. Okay, did you get some good right, forensic I have, files? I have two f- good friends I want to introduce you to. <laughs> and remember, we don't, pa- we can't pause this, so this is like, take the photo as quick as you can. Vince, Vince, here he comes, put him on. That's one. <laughs> And Vince goes, uh, he should be investigating where his sideburns went. (laughs) How? It was a different time. But you know those, you know when you, you're like, I'm going to be on TV tomorrow for the first time. I'm so excited. This fucking happened to me. I'm going to go get a haircut. (sighs) Oh, and then you get this. This is what happens. Okay. My, my bangs were shorter than that the first time. And I, oh, I left the salon crying, truly. Oh, you didn't do it paid, to yourself? No, oh, I went to like shit. a salon and I was like, I'm going to treat myself. It's the first time you're on TV. Like, let it be a big deal. Oh, paid a hundred fucking dollars for him to make me look like, oh, yeah, everyone's like a hundred. I know. I would have done that for you in the nineties <laughs> on white wine and a, t- a touch of speed. And I would have got, I would have got him. Right up there. I mean, I'd still do it for you, minus the speed. Just the white wine. Just a touch of wine? When I have a glass of white wine, I'm the best hairdresser. What? Show us proof. Uh, well, I guess not. I, the only proof I have, is, which is the opposite of proof, is that a guy almost broke up with me when I cut his hair once. I was like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I went to three months of beauty school. I could totally do this. And then he was like, um, I don't. Okay. Um, this Here's, is out. <laughs> and then there's... Oh, I... Guy last did night. Did you? Yes, I watched this one because he did a really moving speech. He was, he was great. really smart and great. <laughs> and how do you trust a, ma- a guy who's wearing Peter Tork's wig? <laughs> he did a really great speech about how we shouldn't judge people on their strange behavior, and I was like, <laughs> should we judge them on their weird bobs that make no sense? <laughs> That clearly you're putting a little bit of like hydrogen peroxide in yeah. so you get those sun highlights, the sun, sun in. in highlights. Sun in, for sure. And that's who's going to be representing us one day <laughs> at our trial. <laughs> if we're lucky. If we're lucky. 
Good. Great. Oh, speaking of, this is my favorite murder, the podcast. Hi. <laughs> this is Karen Kilgaris. This is Georgia Hardstark. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, best friends. Best friends. We appreciate it. Um, Steven's not here. No, Sorry. he never comes. Yeah, the next tour will just be him. You're right. I think that's a good idea. Right? Yeah, he's gonna have to wear. He's gonna be half me, half Karen, <laughs> and he's gonna. And we're not gonna pay him extra for it. He's gonna lip sync. He's gonna lip sync it. <laughs> yeah, That'd we'll be record awesome. it beforehand. Oh, we had. They did. Uh, Oh. Last night in Milwaukee at a bar called Dick's, there was a drag show where they were dressed up like us. We're done. We're Honored. done. We've made it. The end. Honored. We don't have to do anything else. That's Once insane. drag queens are doing you, you're yeah. fucking done. That's, yeah. That's what my grandma always said. <laughs> made it, Grant. I made she it. She knew. She knew the levels. <laughs> the last level that you need to hit. How's your dress holding up? It's okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. Uh, it doesn't have pockets, so it's slightly disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> well, the drunk screaming girl the first night pointed it out to us. Yeah, very well. Yeah, yeah. We have a we have a ton of drunk screaming girls in our audience. <laughs> proud of it. Thank you. I so, love it. Yeah. Yes, we get it. Be proud. <laughs> she screams. She's in the front row. Screams, but then points to herself. <laughs> I, if you miss the yelling, I'm here. <laughs> no, that was for me. The girl in the silver tank top. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. If they sell canned wine here, if I can have Fuck, one. have seven. I would have. <laughs> would have. silence. Okay. Uh, <laughs> should we sit down? Yeah, I guess so. Oh, Ooh, uh, look at these petite little chairs. Are these mid-century modern? These, these are quite something. What is this, Naugahyde? Yes. Honestly, I would put these in my apartment. Hell yes. Like, these are nice. Uh, and then we got a little twist on the thing. Yeah, this is a fucking high-class situation high we're class. in tonight. We got whatever this is. <laughs> I don't know. What, oh, is that for oh, this is This is for if you're stressing out during your story. <laughs> <laughs> Which I am. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell them about this podcast? We all? Oh yeah, the speech. It's time for the speech. This is. You have two more. This you have tonight and tomorrow night to perfect it. <sighs> so like fucking feel it from your heart. Okay. And your soul. Uh, can I get a follow spot, please? <laughs> I'm just gonna walk around the stage a little bit. Um, <clears throat> the lighting guy's like, "Does she really want one?" Um, no, no, no. That's just some theater comedy to make you hate me. <laughs> so this is a true crime comedy podcast, and um, yes, and uh, people like it. But um, but oftentimes at these live shows, you murderinos buy tickets, and then you bring people who don't listen, don't like it, don't care, and don't want to be here. <laughs> Which is, you get to live your life any way you want. Uh, but I would suggest a redirect on that area. But. <laughs> I don't know your story, so do whatever the fuck you want anyway. I just saw one girl hug her friend. <laughs> Sweetly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I made you. And then that person has to go to some kind of weird crafting thing later. It's a, <laughs> it's a trade-off. We get it. Fair. That's how relationships Fair. are supposed to work. But 
So to those people who don't listen and don't get it, sometimes, you know, when you hear the phrase true crime comedy podcast, you know, a lot of times people are like, that's wrong, or those two things don't go together. So we just like to really quickly say at the top of the show, George and I have been obsessed with true crime since we were very young, but we also simultaneously have dealt with all the horrors of our lives through humor. And so it was only natural when we started this podcast and started talking to each other about the worst things that can happen to people in the world that we would then let off the steam of the horror of that by making jokes. So uh, we reserve the right to do that as individual people. And if you don't like it, you can get the fuck out. (laughs) Great. That was a good one. How was that one? That one was great. And really fun fact, not far from this theater right now, Cher just gave that exact same speech. (laughs) Isn't that wild? Do you believe in getting the fuck out? (laughs) Do it. Right? Do it. Can we get a drunk Cher? Drunk Karen Cher? No, you don't know Cher. (laughs) Cher, hold on. Listen. Hold on. Because, seriously, Cher... That was amazing. It's just that. It's just that for a whole. There's no resolution to the drunk Karen bits. You just keep staring going, why? Why is this happening? And in the morning you're like, did I do karaoke with the Cher? God, what happened last night? Did I meet Cher? No. (laughs) You didn't. Um, I don't care. (laughs) We love sober Karen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't know drunk Karen. That's the truth. She would steal your purse. She would fucking... She would steal your purse, kick you in the shin, and then accuse you of betraying her somehow. <laughs> that's pretty much the pattern. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Isn't it fun? It's fun. <laughs> hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in-network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code SPACE80. Goodbye.
Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. I'm first tonight. You are. Got it. Thank you. I know I'm first because on our way on the plane over here, I thought, oh, fuck, I'm last tomorrow night and had a mini panic attack of being the last one of our five fucking month tour. That's right. You better have sparklers. You better have... (laughs) You better have a fucking U.S. Navy boat with Cher on the front of it. I'm going to have the real Zac Efron. Yes. Fucking... Could you imagine? No. (laughs) No. No, I don't want to. No. I don't want to. Okay. Um, I'm doing The Murder of Louis Arbogast. Thank you. Thank you. Even if you don't know or care, thank you. <laughs> that's, that's how it's done. Okay. Yeah. Here we are in 1909. Louis Arbogast, he runs a, he's a German immigrant, this big old jovial dude. He runs a butcher shop in one of St. Paul's Seven Corners. <laughs> West 7th Street. Look it up. I love, I love like five of those corners. I'm not going to say. I won't tell you which ones. Yeah. Let's not, let's not turn them against us. No. Just yet. Not yet. We just started. <laughs> so he's a German immigrant and he has a good business sense and he's a really skilled butcher. So he's able to build this really successful business and provide well for his wife, Mina, and their five daughters uh, with a really comfortable life. He, he, his worth at the time is rumored to be around $200,000 at the time. At the time. Which right now is a lot of fucking, that's a hundred dollar haircuts every week. <laughs> right? Fuck my bangs up again. I don't care. I'm rich. <laughs> Which in today's money is. Should I guess? Sure. Um, wait, sorry. $200,000 back then. I remember there was a dip in the market and then it went back okay, up. Okay, but then it comes, it does come back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it always does. It's uh, yeah. You know, bearable. The trend. The bearable trend. <laughs> I just said it because you said it. <laughs> um, I just said it because I listen to financial podcasts. <laughs> That's what they say. Um, $200,000 back then. Oh, my oh, one? oh, one? Oh, nine. Oh, nine. <laughs> As if she's going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, That's you... going to be $4 million. Fuck. Close. $5.6 million. Shit. Good job. 
You were in the ballpark. I'm getting, I'm getting good at this. I feel like in the beginning they were like three hundred more dollars. Like we just couldn't even. <laughs> and, no, and now it's my passion. That's right. <laughs> now it's your new podcast. It's, it's called today's money. It's called. <laughs> And all I do is read lists of how much money. Yeah. You send me the year. <laughs> and the amount. And the amount. Yeah, I can't do the amount. <laughs> and every time it's, you guys won't believe this. Oh my God. Holy shit. In 1568. <laughs> oh my God. They didn't have money. <laughs> Everything was leaves? good faith. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? Leaves. Leaves. <laughs> That's silly. Uh, it was coffee. Everyone knows it. Yeah. Um, okay, so four of the of Lewis and Mina's uh, daughters live with them in their beautiful two-story house that's only a five-minute walk from the butcher shop. Um, let me show you them real quick. That's the, the, oh, yeah. the handsome couple. That's what, it, that's what it was like to be rich back then. Yeah. It's different now. Yeah. These are the real housewives of yesteryear. <laughs> when you're rich, you just don't even fit in your photograph. It's, no. Kind of a thing. She's like, I'll have another side of bacon. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. So that's them. And then this is their house, which clearly is gorgeous. <laughs> what? I don't know. It was, I was running late. <laughs> I promise it's beautiful. <laughs> Except for the boarded up part. <laughs> Where? Is that modern art? I don't know what that is. Did this house burn down while they lived there? No. Okay. Well, ooh. What? Ah. Ooh. Ooh, psychic. Yes, I've done it again. That might be an ad for clean, a cleaning solvent. I don't know. But oh, okay. That's their gorgeous house. Okay. You know, I'm sure it costs $900,000 today. Okay. Inflation. Okay, so uh, they have the five daughters. Um, the youngest is 16, named Flora. Her nickname is Babe, which sounds insulting. That's... You like it? Because of the pig? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Then there's Minnie, who's 18, Ida is 22, and the eldest is the beautiful black-haired Louise. She's 23. Um, and then there's another daughter who's 19-year-old Emma. She lives with her husband, too young. Uh, <laughs> Back then, she was an old right. spinster. That's She's right. like, thank fucking God someone came by. I'm almost they, 20. <laughs> they live down the street on South Exchange Street, just a block away. So... On the surface, of course, as all families do, this family looks normal and perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, There you go. Uh, But they're not. (laughs) The daughters are all these these beautiful, vivacious social butterflies. Yeah. Um, Blutterflies. Murder. Foreshadowing. Um, They're known for their confidence and independence and all that good shit. (laughs) So... Early morning hours on May 13th. Wait, that's your, not your birthday. Two days after. Right. Uh, <laughs> 1909, a 16-year-old newsboy uh, whose name is Abr- Abrahamson. It's probably his last name. Uh, <laughs> he hears screams as he walks by the Arbogast house at 4 a.m. on his newspaper route. route. Um, <laughs> and he sees two of the daughters, Ida and Minnie, on the front porch in their nightgowns crying out, my poor papa, won't someone help my poor papa? And they're just screaming at 4 a.m. So he, the newspaper boy, runs into the house like a hero, and uh, he... (laughs) 
<laughs> he runs in and he finds Luis and Flora, two of the other daughters, weeping and wailing in grief in the hall. He runs up to the second floor, passes uh, Mrs. Arbogast, um, who's who's coming down the stairs. And when he gets to the second floor, he follows the smell of gasoline fumes and smoke to the main bedroom. And there he finds Louis Arbogast, the family patriarch, lying on the bed. He's engulfed in flames. Still burning? Yeah. Engulfed. That means... Yeah, it is. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be like that tonight. (laughs) I'm sweating. But sorry. Okay. Go ahead. But no one's downstairs yelling fucking fire, fire, fire. Like... That's a good point. Okay. That's my confusion. Help, help, help. And so, yeah. Okay. Okay, great. Um, The newsboy grabs a sheet from the floor and tries to smother the flames. Oh, sorry. Do you know how old the newsboy is? So he's 16. He's probably the chief of police. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Back then. Yep. How they they did it. He's been so for 10 years. Yeah. Oh, I thought thought you said he's been sober for 10 years. Also very possible. Probably not. Uh, it's 1909. It's such a tough job yeah. on, a, on a team. <laughs> um, so he smothers the flames, and then he's joined by the fiancé of Louis, Louis, the oldest daughter, um, Henry, and they put out the fire. Fucking great. Uh, <laughs> then he runs downstairs to the back stairs where he finds a burning, a burning whirl of fabric and feathers blazing, and he, puts, he fucking tosses that outside and puts the fire out, which is like... Awesome. He's doing it. Yeah. 16 year olds. They got a lot of chutzpah, you know? Yeah. There's, but the neighbor's like, uh, where's my paper? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> Excuse me. You're fired. Do I have to send a telegram to the head office? <laughs> um, firefighters arrive and head to the second floor where they find, um, Louis Arbogast. He's barely, he's still alive. No. I know. Gasping for air. He's unconscious, lying across the bed naked, and the back of his skull has been bashed in. And there's blood spatter on the walls and into the sheets beneath him. And they load him into an uh, ambulance and he dies on the way to the hospital. I totally forgot to tell you guys that most of this information I got is from the podcast Most Notorious. Oh, okay. They have a, um, a Minnesota, uh, you know, spinoff thing. That's right. Great. <laughs> so, you can hear you all about... They specialize in stories from Minnesota. They have a, like a, um, you know what I mean? Companion... <laughs> Companion piece? A companion podcast. A secondary podcast? Like a spinoff. A spinoff. There you go. I think you did say that. (laughs) Sorry. That's on me. That's on me. What was it the other day when you were like, I I have to be your thesaurus all the time or something like that? No, no. You're, um, because it was, who's the actor from The Thing? And anytime she says that, I'm like, I'm going to get this. Like, I something rises up in me where I, that's like the one way I can prove that I'm a valid human being. (laughs) We're just like... Who's we the, couldn't be more of a perfect like pair because I can't remember shit ever. But I'm always like the purple head with the thing, and then that, and then you're like, it's and then she's Tom like, Hanks. who played yeah, who played Mel on Alice? I'm a thick tay back and screaming at the top of my lungs. It's a pretty good, it's very sad. It's well done. Okay, no, it's good. No, it's so good. <laughs> okay, stop it. Um, Blah, 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 blah. Okay, da, 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 da. he dies on the way to the hospital. Um, his wife Mina, who was presumably in bed during the attack, has burns on her body as well. She's taken to the hospital, and police search the house for evidence, and they follow a trail of blood 
footprints, blood footprints, from um, the bed down into the cellar, and there they find an axe wrapped in some clothing and loosely hidden in some newspaper. It's stained with blood, and it has a fucked up handle. It's obviously the murder weapon. And they also find two empty gasoline cans near the burned bed. So the family, and the family has a watchdog that uh, guards the fenced-in yard all night, a streetcar watchman. His duties were to make sure there was no obstructions on the tracks. That sounds like a bummer. Um, <laughs> um, stop the streetcar. We have a bunch of sheep. <laughs> um, he had been patrolling the area all night, including in front of the house, and saw no one come in, and the dog hadn't freaked the fuck out. So it's clear that someone inside the house committed this crime. Okay. Um, and so, the, and all the doors and windows were locked, etc. So uh, Lewis's wife Mina claims that she'd been in the bathroom, in uh, right near the bedroom, when her husband was attacked with the axe and set on fire, and she didn't know what ha- was happening. She comes out of the fucking bathroom and fire at four a.m. Now it sounds unlikely, right? But have you ever gotten into one of those magnetic ma- magnified mirrors? Oh, <laughs> yeah. You just, you just get into it. I mean, truly, that's half of the time of this tour has been spent for me. Doing <laughs> Trying to and remove yes. small black hairs <laughs> that's right. from your face. <laughs> I somehow still have my eyebrows. <laughs> Thank God. One more day. We got one more day. <laughs> e, 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 e. I go back tonight. Pluck them all out. That'd be fun. Okay. So she says she didn't know what was happening until uh, one of her daughters screamed and ran into the room and pulls uh, Lewis from the blaze. And that's how she, uh, she says she did that. And that's how she got the burns on her. But um, she's dressed in a fresh, clean nightgown that doesn't show any signs of fire at all. So that's weird, number one. Um, and then they go in the bathroom and find bloodstained women's uh, nightgown and undergarments in the bathtub like someone was trying to clean them. Mm. So... Is that weird number two? That's weird number two. Okay. The youngest daughter um, tells them a totally different story. She says that she woke up in her bedroom that she shares with Luis, and um, when her mother started screaming, she ran into her parents' bedroom, saw the bed on fire, and her father's head fucking bashed in, and um, her mom was not lying next to him when that happened, and so uh, she pulled her mom out, but then uh, she couldn't get her dad, and the rest of the sisters woke up, screamed outside. Paperboy, etc. So, um, want to see the bed? Yes, you have to. Okay, that's it. Oh, well, it definitely fits inside that house. <laughs> but then, if you notice the pillow, so that's his pillow, obviously. Oh, okay. but the one next to it has blood spatters on it where she said she was laying. So oh, that's that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like they wouldn't be on there if she was laying there, right? Ooh, mystery. Also, the wallpaper looks like it's a blood spatter pattern. <laughs> That's true. That's Must true. It's been hard to investigate this. Can we one. get this colorized, please? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, of course, um, reporters show up because this is a fucking fun scandal for them. And they're basically podcasters. Right. But back then. <laughs> And the Arbogast family just like shuts themselves off and their staff and they're like, we're not talking to anyone. And then they, the uh, reporters see in the background, background of the house, <laughs> a stable boy shredding the, the murder mattress. Backyard. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so he is, a stable boy is getting rid of evidence essentially. Yeah, but the police had left it. It wasn't like he was doing it without 
you know, when oh, it wasn't okay. supposed to. So, um, they, they, the police cleared Louis, uh, Luis's fiance and Emma's husband because they were in the house at the time and they no, don't know anything and they refuse to speculate. Later that day, Louis's brother visits the house and he's interviewed by reporters. He says he, he doesn't say much, but he tells them that he only speaks to his brother on his way to work by just giving him a wave. <laughs> and when they're like, why? And they're like, he doesn't want to get mixed up in anything, but he knows the murder couldn't have been committed by anyone outside the house. So he's like, let me just tell you guys this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Not cool. Right. Um, So there's rumors that start circulating that there's some crazy secrets going on within that seemingly perfect house. And it might have led to jealousy or revenge as a motive to the death. And uh, they rule out robbery. And then John O'Connor, who's St. Paul's most famous police chief. Yes. You guys know and love him. Yes. He's... He was one of the greats. Yeah. I insist that he's your best friend. (laughs) He was 15, and he (laughs) painted fences for a living. (laughs) So uh, he says the murder looks like the work of an insane person, and there's a theory that uh, it was attempted double homicide since Mina was also in bed, but she hadn't been hit in the head, so it wasn't, maybe not that. Um, Well, and also she said she was in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. But... She has burns all over her body. Who knows? Okay. okay. The coroner who examines Lewis's skull guesses that the person who wielded the axe was probably not very strong. And uh, when they hit him, it just didn't do much. So they had him a couple times. And uh, they, then the person doused the bed in gasoline and set it on fire. So, uh, okay. So two days after the murder, Luis, the daughter, checks herself into St. Luke's Hospital for a rest cure. What's that? Cocaine? No. <laughs> That's usually what they did back then, though. Yeah. Well, maybe, I'm not, you know what, I'm not going to say no, because, okay. but, you know, the vapors or whatever. Oh, right. Morphine. <laughs> Just a ton, a huge glass of morphine every night. <laughs> so you can rest. Yeah. So reporters are like, ooh, what's this all about? Her, she had a nervous breakdown, and they start digging into her background, the daughter. She's been known in the past to visit fortune tellers all over fucking town. She's, like, obsessed with them and spends large amounts of money to help. Um, they help her make life decisions. <laughs> and um, another paper reports that she'd spent the Christmas of 1908 recuperating from one of her bouts in a sanatorium. So, an alienist, which we all know, it means a fucking psychiatrist today, mm-hmm. because we're so smart. Uh, his name is Dr. Anthony Sweeney. He had examined her when she was staying at St. Luke's two months earlier, and he tells the papers, because there's no such thing as patient confidentiality back then. Nope. <laughs> That's relatively new. Tell them everything, and it still is in, not in practice. Okay. Okay, he tells her that he tells the papers that she had been hopelessly insane, and that at the time of at the time of her release, it's a strong statement. Yeah, (laughs) kind of a dick move. If your psychiatrist is hopeless, yeah, all you're saying is I can't do anything. Oh man, yeah, I can't, which means no one can. Exactly. Um, and she, and that she hadn't been cured when she was released, and the family doctor, who's a woman, which is nice, says that um. There, that the, her, it's her longtime patient, and there's no doubt of Luis as a victim of advanced melancholia with a with strong suicidal tendencies. Which means she loves smashing pumpkins. <laughs> Sorry, no, that's no. not good comedy. No, it's true. It's not good comedy. Yeah, it wasn't. It's cheap. 
Um, doctors had told her father that unless she was committed once more, there was a good chance she would kill herself or a family member. Oh. That's like way before the family member died. Right. Meanwhile, Mina Arbogast, the wife, she's still in the hospital because of her burns. She tells the police that Luis had been having hallucinations for months and had recently returned from the hospital. Um, and she, Luis believed that someone was trying to hurt her and was constantly watching out for an attack. So she was a little paranoid. And um, her father, though, had insisted that she be released early from the hospital, despite warnings uh Doctors had warned him that Luis had been, uh, would behave violently, possibly towards him, but the, he insisted, Luis had insisted she come home. She was his favorite daughter. She had a strong head for numbers. Don't know what that means. <laughs> Maybe she can guess future amounts of money. Ooh. <laughs> She's like, watch, one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six, seven. <laughs> watch me. Don't you love that, Dad? <laughs> Um, and she spent every day with him at the butcher shop acting as the cashier. I think she was like kind of the bookkeeper. Um, but so let's see. So his funerals had held at, uh, Christ Church on Sunday, May 16th. Luis is allowed to leave the hospital and attend with, uh, the rest of her sisters. To, and, um, there's hundreds of curious townspeople. That's you guys. <laughs> Your ancestors. Your ancestors. We're looky loos. They gather outside the house and they watch the sisters like celebrities as they step into carriages to go to the funeral. And they also notice that at the um, funeral, Luis refuses to look at the body of her father as he lay in the casket. Um, so she becomes the prime suspect. So, but then on the day after the funeral, Mina breaks and she's in the hospital. Um, she breaks in an interrogation by the police and confesses to what, what she says happened the morning of um, Lewis's murder. She says that when she came out of the bathroom, she found Luis, the daughter, wild-eyed and staring at her father as he lay in the bed, the flaming bed, and the bloody axe was at the ground on her feet. So she like saw her. Yeah. She's like, my fucking daughter did it. Whoa. I saw it. So uh, Mina said she screamed and ran into the room and tried to put the fire out, and that's why she has the burns, and then, you know, it went crazy. And then they uh, started to get rid of the evidence to protect Luis, is what she says. So they take Luis from her hospital to her mother's hospital. Hi. Um, <laughs> they're like, hey, how are you? <laughs> hey. And then... Um, they are hoping that Luis will confess by seeing her mother. And when uh, Luis sits by her mother's bed with police witnessing, she denies everything. And she, um, Luis gets angry. No, no, no. Mina gets angry and yells out, it's you or me. Tell the truth. You were outside father's door when I came from the bathroom. You must tell the truth. Tell the truth. But here's the thing. They spoke German, too. So they might have been like, don't say anything. Tell the truth. <laughs> this is German. Don't say anything. Tell no, the truth. Nine, nine, nine. Tell the <laughs> truth, please. Right. Right. Yeah. So, like, we don't know. Okay. Achtung. <laughs> Those are the two I have. <laughs> so, let's say, let's see here. Uh, Louise denies knowing anything. She stares straight ahead blankly, which I'm sure was cool. Um, <laughs> but she's the perfect scapegoat. Yes. If it's not her. She's right. the perfect scapegoat. Right. Yeah. And uh, she stays silent. They both break into sobs. And they hold each other and cry. It's very lovely. Um, <laughs> Mina later tells her attorney that she thinks Louise is the one who did it. But she didn't see her do it, so she's not sure. So, the police chief, O'Connor, your best friend... Mm -hmm. 
believes that Luis is the only possible perpetrator, and they're confident enough in their findings that they arrest the daughter, Luis, almost immediately after her encounter with the, with her mom. She faints when the judge recounts the details of her father's death. The judge, she's like, he's like, you can have an attorney, and she's like, God will be my attorney. Uh-uh. I did not harm my father. Truly, I did not harm my father. Can you imagine God's attorney briefcase? It'd just be like huge and filled with clouds. Yeah. There's like a whole fish in it. <laughs> what? I don't know. He's like, it's not just one fish. Anyway, I'll show you later. Thank you. First, let's do this court case. <laughs> not guilty, Your Honor. Um, so the judge was like, honey, let us help you. And was like, you can't enter a plea until you consult with an attorney. Her attorney ends up being one of the most famous attorneys in Minnesota history, William D. Mitchell, who you guys love. <laughs> Um, that's right. He would eventually serve as the attorney general from 1929 to 1933. So, which you guys love, hometown pride, etc. <laughs> so he enters a plea of not guilty for her. And uh, most everyone believes Louise would have to be have been crazy to have killed her father, and so she becomes a sympathetic character in the media, like all the townspeople and everything. Uh, or like, oh, fuck, that sucks. It's like her dad had been warned that she shouldn't get out of the mental institution. And they were saying, like, he he basically uh, killed himself by letting her out early when he was warned. That's a bit harsh. Yeah. <laughs> it is. So, okay. But then uh, when the, the doctors, like, study her and her mental health, they find her, level, her level-headed, quick-witted, and very normal. And neighbors and friends are like, She's not, she's one of the smartest people in the family. She's not fucking crazy. This she just likes to stare sometimes. <laughs> she likes to stare when her mom is accusing her of murdering her dad. She's like, oh my God, my mom is accusing me of murdering my dad. Yeah. I mean, what would you say? Okay. I'd go all wild-eyed. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, fuck you, <laughs> Janet. You don't know me. Janet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Can I tell you guys really quickly <laughs> on this trip? I've been reading a book that was given to me by uh, by a listener at the first show. That's called "Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents," <laughs> <laughs> and I almost started crying when I. Whenever you guys are like, I feel like I know you. You know us. You do. It's truly you do. And I was reading it and just laughing out loud. I was like, uh huh, yeah. No, that's exactly what happened. What I loved is. The the woman gave Georgia the book and she's just like, you know, like, I don't want to say anything, but I loved this book. It helped me. And I've listened to the stories you've told and you might find this interesting or whatever. And then they walk away. Georgia turns to me and goes, can I have this? <laughs> I was like, yeah, you sure can. It's for you. It was written with she you in mind. you in the eye. <laughs> be like, no, be- that's mine. <laughs> I don't want to be greedy, but your parents sounded mature. They're pretty mature. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in a good way. In a, Their flaws are in other books. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's not, it's just not that one. Yeah. So many books. <laughs> um, <laughs> Adult children of parents who wouldn't stop yelling, even though there was no reason to yell. <laughs> just fucking volume, volume, volume. <laughs> Hey, turn the light off. It's like, I'm right here. <laughs> I'm literally feet away from you. That's what the, what's it called? The, <laughs> the, the, the subtitle or yes, the working title? Yeah. I didn't get that one because it wasn't an actor. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, okay. Blah, 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 blah. Where was I? Committed the crime. Okay. 
She's level-headed. She's cool. She's funny. Brightest one in the family. So the grand jury meets and they're like, you know what we really don't want to do is indict this daughter for murder if she's got mental uh, illness issues and also like, you know, all this stuff. They don't want to do that. It would look bad. And and, she's cool. And she's cool, you know. (laughs) Um... But they end up bring, they end up having enough evidence to bring two indictments for homicide. One is for Luis, and the other is for the mother, Mina. And they're like, we think you guys are going to crack on each other, and we'll get the real story. Oh. Um, but police no longer believe that Luis committed the crime, but she was an indirect cause of it. And they thought Mina, the wife, had done it because in a state of rage when she discovered conditions in the household. Ooh. Okay. Here's what we have okay ready i'm ready she had a strong head for numbers and stuff and was working beep boop bop on the calculator yep <laughs> it was an abacus, abacus? It's 1909 thank you you're welcome that's what i meant mm-hmm. um and there were okay and so of course it's 1909 so there's just a lot of innuendo no one will outright say anything conditions it, in the house type of stuff conditions in the house right there were rumors that the relationship one of was one of quote inseparable companionship <laughs> Between the daughter and the father. Just fucking say it. Yeah. Um, according to newspapers, at home, she had been with him as a comrade in the most intimate sense. <laughs> so she's a socialist? <laughs> Lock her up. Yeah. So this, like, obviously shines a totally different light on the whole story. And it's like, did Mina do it because she found out about that? Did Luis do it because she couldn't fucking stand it anymore? Um, and then, so the grand jury, so Mina's tried first. Her story about being in the bathroom for five minutes um, doesn't really hold up because it would have been impossible for Luis to grab the gas can from the basement, the axe, which was out in the woodshed, and do all that shit, uh, and then murder her father, light him on fire in the five minutes that Mina said she was in the bathroom. Yeah. And then there's conflicting testimonies. And it seems like what happened was all the daughters, the other four daughters, were like, well, we're going to confuse the shit out of you. Oh. And we got our fucking sisters and our moms back. Fuck you. <laughs> so they just kept telling sto- different stories that were weird and not to- didn't make sense totally. And then they'd also say, like, I don't remember a lot. So they kind of were just trying to confuse. And the prosecutors didn't even want to really be uh, prosecuting this after they had found out all this information. So, um, okay. So they had found out the night before the murder, Lewis had had a meeting with a family friend and Luis had been there as well. And he had been talking about selling the business and moving to Alaska. So, yeah. Would that be hard in 1909? I think. A little bit difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's hard now. Right. He's like, I'm not taking the family with me. I'm not taking my wife. The only person who's allowed to come with me is Luis. His constant companion. That's right. Also, oh, they also called it uh, a manifest friendship. No. <laughs> You're raping your daughter. It's all the worst. Yeah. No. But uh, even the possibility, like, we were trying to find a motive, and maybe that was the motive for either of the, of the mother or the daughter to kill him. Um, and so some think Mina could have been jealous of Luis's relationship with her father. It's fucking not a relationship. No. Um, and Luis was considered her father's real partner as the head of the house as well. So, like, Mina would, like, need money for household shit, and he'd say no, but then he'd give a ton of money. Whenever Luis asked for money, he'd give her more than she needed. He put away money for her um, wedding. 
thing, which he hadn't done for the other daughters. But so, and then someone said, a family friend said that Louis, Louis loved Luis more than any man ever loved his daughter. <laughs> so. As a, they said that as a way to like be like, there's no way she would have done it. And it's like, that's the motive. That and is the way. That's just, exactly the way. What, that's just what happened. Um, but since there's no real motive, the jury comes back with a verdict of not guilty for the mother. Mm-hmm. And months later, when Luis's trial is about to begin, prosecutors are like, fuck this shit. And they dismiss, dismiss the charges against her. The papers... The papers accuse the police of stupidity and the public is shocked that there's no one that's going to stand trial for this murder. Um, and then later the Arbogast women all become partners in the butcher shop. <laughs> and they like, it's like a sitcom. <laughs> the Arbogast ladies are like, well, that didn't turn out how we thought it would be. Let's take this fucking shit and not go to Alaska. Yeah. Um, Louise is the bookkeeper. Yes, she is. She ends up marrying a man named Asher Webster and moves to Rochester, Michigan. Um, sadly, she dies in 1930 at the age of 38 from apoplexy, which at the time meant heart attack or stroke. Mm. Suspicious? No, it's not. <laughs> People were dying all the fucking time back then. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was like a major pastime. That's baseball. <laughs> That and racism. Okay. Um, <laughs> no one has ever tried for the murder of Louis Arbogast again. Police knew the crime had been committed by someone in the house, and but they did not have an evidence enough evidence for a conviction. The murders never solved, and it left people guessing if Louise did it because her father was molesting her, or if Mina did it because of the same fucking reason, or if they did it fucking together. Maybe all the daughters were in on it. Yes. I remember there was like clothes that were had been washed in the bathtub, and like it took too much time. So maybe, it kind of seems from what I, um, when I listen to Most Notorious, it, to me, it's like, maybe uh, Mina walked in on her daughter doing it, and then was like, let's finish this up together. Oh. Oh, right. Like, I got your, I got your back. I got girl. this. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, Louis, Louis is buried in the Oakland Cemetery in St. Paul, Minnesota, and that is the murder of Louis Arbogast. Wow. Thanks. It's just so, uh, you know, he doesn't sound like a great person, but to burn to death. Yeah, you don't want that. That's pretty rough. No, you don't want that. Um, good one. Thank you. Yeah. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash 
slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines and June's journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. I'm going to do Harry Hayward, the Minneapolis Svengali. Oh! It's another oldie, actually. I almost, I was getting into um, one, and I was so excited because it's one of my favorites. I won't be able to remember the name off the top. And Your when very I, favorite. When I say it's, yeah, it's really the best. I have no idea how it goes or who's in it. Um, uh, no, it's the one where the total sociopath daughter kills her mother and the maid. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so good. But you did it already. So oh, I was like all fine. in it and like pulling pictures and doing all this stuff. And then Jay's like, you guys did this. Oh, one? And I'm like, yeah. yep. Yes, of course. Sorry. But there's plenty. There's plenty to go around. <laughs> okay. So, uh, most of the information I, I found this on the website Murder by Gaslight. And if you guys have not gone on there, it's a great website that's all like turn of the century, you old fashioned murders and real good pictures, drawings of people, like knives. It's just. <laughs> I highly recommend. It's really well done. And the the man that um, writes that website has also done a couple books. It's really good. Okay. So we'll start. I will tell you about this woman here. Her name is Catherine Kitty Ging. Hey, girl. Kitty Ging. That's the haircut I had. A hundred dollars. And I had never spent more than like $40 on a haircut before that. And it always turned out fine. And then I spent a hunt. Sorry, this is not about no, me. No, no, no. You can do it. Go. You got to get it out. I one time wrote a song that was all about, it was called, This Is Not The Haircut I Asked For. And it was, <laughs> it was oh really, really slow and sad. And it was just all about, how ugly do you think I am that you gave me that haircut? Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty vicious. Sing it, they're saying. You don't fucking tell me what to do. (laughs) Who are these people? Anyway. (laughs) Okay. So this is Kitty Ging and um, Catherine Kitty, to her friends. Uh, Very tall woman. She is described as imposing and handsome. Aww. (laughs) Honey, that sucks. Uh... But no, because actually she's very popular with men. Okay. Yeah. That's so what they were into back then, I yeah, guess. Yeah. It's it was a thing. <laughs> she has huge hands. 
<laughs> she'll fucking throw a man over her shoulder and yeah. get it done. Let's do this. Okay. She is from New York State. She moves to Minneapolis in the early 1890s because she has this ex-fiance named Frederick Reed. And um, he won't accept that they're not going to get married. So apparently the deal is Reed is a clerk at the Golden Rule department store. Mm. <laughs> Any of those around anymore? Mm. I got to go down to the Golden Rule and get some spanks for the show. <laughs> He asks Kitty to marry him. She accepts. Then she later calls it off, but she doesn't give the ring back. She ends up carrying the ring in a little bag around her neck. And then, so how fucking irritating is that? That she's like, oh, he won't get over me. And where he's like, I just want my money back. So he's, she's like, he keeps following me around. I have to move away. He won't accept that we've broken up. He's like, if I could just have the ring, I'll leave you alone. <laughs> Did I tell you when I broke off my engagement before I met Vince? Obviously. Um, I gave the ring back immediately. And then he texted me like, you're not going to believe how much money I got back for it. I didn't think I get so much money. I'm like, I'm not happy for you, dude. High five, motherfucker. Yeah. I, uh... Okay, so in Minneapolis, Kitty gets a job as a dressmaker. She lives in an apartment building called the Ozark Flats. Look you guys it. live there? Who lives there? I bet you live there. Whoever lives there gets a life-size poster of Zac Efron. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Isn't it cool? Okay, yeah. so. So vintage. <clears throat> the Ozark Flats is a building owned by a nan- man named William Hayward, who's the patriarch of one of the most prominent and wealthy families in Minneapolis. Um, so... Uh, Kitty starts a relationship with William's son, Harry Hayward. So Harry is a handsome playboy with a reputation for being a gambler and a cad. Hot. Right? (laughs) So Harry Hayward earns his money like many of the wealthy elite through theft, insurance, fraud, (laughs) and counterfeiting. But he always gets out of trouble with his wealth and charm. Uh, His charm is so intense that some people even believe he has hypnotic powers. Maybe that mustache does. (laughs) No, that's the haircut. That's definitely the haircut I have. There's some fucked up band. (laughs) It's Steven. (laughs) You know know who I think it is? Oh, wait. (laughs) Damn it. That's what my fucking hair. I, I forgot. Wish I had a photo right now. Because <laughs> if we go back one, wait. Okay. Like you don't notice it at first? You don't notice Who? the detail work on Harry? <laughs> and then you're like, what is it about him that's so hypnotic? It's those fucking bangs. Yeah. But this curl, if you get, it's, you can't see the detail as well, but this curl actually goes up. Oh, so it's, it's oh. like a reverse wave. It's, yeah. it's like if you take a picture of a wave and you flip it. <laughs> uh, but sorry, this was, I was going to say, he looks like. Oh. That's, that's who would play him in the movie of the week. Yeah. A oh, cat, you, he's a cat in it. You don't believe me? <laughs> 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 uh-huh. <laughs> no, I see Fucking it. dead on. Dead on. Dead on. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> what happened to the right side of the mustache? Uh, oh, it switched. No, I don't know, actually. <laughs> 
I texted Jay and I go, how are your Photoshop skills? I I have a funny joke I'd like to do. (laughs) I mean, it's uncanny. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. So that's Harry. Hypnotic Harry Hayward. So... uh, so they get together, they're hanging out. Um, he starts telling people around town that they're engaged or they might be engaged. Um, but everyone's like, you're both dating other people. Like they're, yeah. so no one really knows what's going on with the two of them, but they do know that Kitty is incredibly charmed by Harry. All of his, you know, um, bullshit. magnetism, oh, bullshit, yeah. hypnotic powers. Right. They're working on her like crazy. And she is also very interested in his get rich quick schemes. She wants to live that lavish lifestyle sure. um, and he often declares that money is his god and so Ew. they're a match made in the deepest bowels of hell <laughs> so when I hear money is his god I think of how dirty money is like <laughs> literally it's just like covered in feces and like that's your god I know <laughs> okay so so basically um Harry's got these plans. He's going to sell stolen jewelry and, and um, start trading in counterfeit money. And Kitty's like, I am down. Whatever you want to do and whenever you want to do it. Um, she also starts loaning him a lot of money because he's a big gambler. Um, so she's in it. Uh, and she's pretending to like all the bands he likes. And she's she watches sports all the time and oh. pretends that she knows what's happening. Oh, honey. It's the whole nine. Who uh, Who among us? Hasn't. Truly. Pretended to be a totally different person for the love of a bad man. <laughs> so, yeah, don't judge Kitty. Amen. Don't you dare. Right? We get it, Kitty, you handsome woman. <laughs> so, on December 3rd, 1893, um, Kitty and Harry meet for lunch. And over lunch, Harry asks Kitty to help him in what he calls a, quote, green goods scandal. Oh, I'm sorry, a green goods deal. Mm. He doesn't call it a scandal. <laughs> that would be a bad salesmanship. Yeah. Um, a green goods deal, which basically means um, that he want, he's going to buy counterfeit money and he wants her to, to do it with him. Um, so he gives Kitty $2,000 and he tells her to meet up with the janitor at Oz- the Ozark Flats apartment complex. And his name, the janitor, is Klaus Blixt. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you know Klaus Blixt? <laughs> Blixt. Do you want to know who I think would yes, play Klaus Blixt? always. Of course I do. Those are some piercing fucking eyes right there. I know. Okay. I think it would be, um, from the Dollop podcast, Gareth Reynolds. Do you know him? <gasps> oh! I see it. <laughs> he can do a German accent. Yeah. I don't know if that guy's German. I just... <laughs> He's gotta be. How could you say the name Klaus Blixt and not do a German no, accent? I love it. Klaus! It's, yeah. Okay. Okay. So the plan is that, that that night, Kitty and Klaus are going to go to the outskirts of town and wait for Harry, and Harry's going to meet them there with the counterfeiters, and then they're going to do the deal. Okay, so Kitty hires, uh, she calls up the livery sta- stable, the Gooseman liber- livery stable, and to get a horse and buggy, mm-hmm. and she specifically requests, um, because she uses a livery stable all the time, so she requests Lucy the horse. Oh. Charming. Charming and wonderful. It's like horse Uber. <laughs> you could do horse pool if you 
want to save a couple dollars. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> the idea of getting into a car where the, you don't know the driver and you also don't know the passengers is my living nightmare. Yeah. And like, there's people who do it constantly. I've done it. Isn't it the weirdest? Yeah. I mean, do you make conversations? Yeah. With those? I've done it like twice. Don't, I wouldn't suggest it. <laughs> <laughs> Pay the extra $2, but if you're broke, yeah. shit. Okay, you're right. I'm being elitist. I mean, maybe not at night. Don't do it at night. Uh, don't do it. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. So uh, at 7.08 p.m., Lucy and the buggy <laughs> arrive at the West Hotel. I'm sure someone oh. was driving it, but we, <laughs> no, there's no one says Lost sure. to history. <laughs> Lucy was the kind of horse you could be just be like just head over to the West Hotel there's gonna be a lady named Kitty waiting for you she's like <laughs> got it she does a thing yeah. with her hoof a couple times yeah. that says I'll be back in two hours uh-huh. and then she heads out so when the horse and buggy arrive Kitty gets in and rides away so two hours later at 9:10 p.m. Lucy, the horse, returns to the Gooseman livery, but there's no one inside the buggy. Mm. Yes, it's empty. So uh, Kitty was the one driving it. Okay. Yeah. So soon after, on Excelsior Boulevard in the outskirts of Minneapolis. You guys still there? Love that road. Oh, uh, is that the best, most historical road? <laughs> Sorry, I'm about to lose my mind. Um, <laughs> Okay. I can't be doing that at this part. Okay. Soon after, on Excelsior Boulevard on the outskirts of Minneapolis, Katie Ging is found lying in a pool of blood and her skull has been crushed. Oh, no. So the police assume, when they come to look at it, that Kitty has been in a horse and buggy accident, basically. And so immediately the death is ruled an accident. Um, or, you know, assumed to be ruled an accident. Right. But then they take um, the body to the morgue. And when it's examined, the doctor notices something that they didn't see at the scene that makes him doubt that ruling of accidental death. And that is that there is a bullet lodged behind her left eye. Jesus. Yeah. That'll do it. Yes. And then the, that doctor was like, it is my professional opinion that the horse did not do this. <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> Lucy the horse is innocent. Yeah. Can't hold a gun with two hooves. It's physically and medically impossible. Okay. So now it's on. It's a murder investigation. And the police are trying to confirm... Um, that the dead woman is, in fact, Kitty Gang. So they go and question all the residents and workers at the Ozark Flats apartments. And almost immediately, here comes Harry Hayward coming forward and saying that it has to be Kitty because he had loaned her $2,000 earlier that day. And I, I swear to God I had written on here somewhere the um, the modern-day equivalent because it was fucking a crazy amount. I mean, 2018, whatever the fuck? What is yeah, it, uh, it's 1890... At this point, 1894. So maybe it's 200,000. It's. I think it was 500,000. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> we'll see. It, okay. it might come up. Okay. Um, okay. So, 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 here's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Harry's telling the cops, look, I loaned her $2,000 in public, in daylight, at a, in a restaurant. Someone must have seen us uh-huh. and then followed her out that night and robbed her and killed her. Um, and the cops were like, okay. <laughs> um, so they first 
go and talk to Frederick Reed, her ex-fiance, because mm-hmm. they're trying to trace it back. And um, when they bring him in for questioning, um, they interrogate him for several hours, but his alibi is solid, and so he's released. Then they bring in the next suspect, which is a woman named Miss Lillian Allen. Lily Allen. And uh, that's right. uh, She was a famed British singer at the time, um, and whose brother was on Game of Thrones. Um, No, so this Lily Allen and Kitty were rivals over Frederick. Mm. And so, uh, so they bring, um, Lillian thinking she has basically killed Kitty mm-hmm. out of jealousy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because she wouldn't get that ring back and mm. stuff. But if, uh, then Lily has a solid alibi, so they have to let her go. Then, um, they search Kitty's apartment for clues and they find a ripped up note that reads, I cannot marry you. And they discover and trace back that the author of this note is a man named Harvey Axford. Mm-hmm. So uh, Harvey's a traveling salesman who's known Kitty for around seven years. And they'd been involved, but Harvey ultimately told Kitty he couldn't marry her because it turns out he was already married. I could have um, guessed that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You could tell by the Harvey Axford in his, in his name. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he like walks around like this. A lot of winking from Harvey Axford, you can tell. He's a big winker. He's a big, maybe a big gooser. That's how it was back then. Deal with it. Um, so uh, when they talked to Kitty's neighbors, police learned that hours before her murder that they heard Harvey and Kitty talking in her apartment. Um, so they're like, this is the guy. But again, he has a super solid alibi, so they have to release him. So then they decide they're going to go back and question Harry Hayward. And um, he, of course, has a good alibi. He tells the authorities that he was with his friend Thomas A. Waterman for most of the night of the murder. And then when he left Thomas, he went on a date to the Minneapolis Grand Opera House to see a musical called A Trip to Chinatown. <laughs> was Cher in it? Cher. <laughs> oh, and um, part of his uh, alibi is he was there on a date with a woman named Mabel Bartleson. Oh, <laughs> honey. Is- Easily the most unattractive name I've ever heard. <laughs> are you swallowing a burp or are you saying someone's name? <laughs> Mabel Bartleson. Mabel, Mabel Bartleson. Aww. Okay. But Mabel Bartleson is his alibi. And um, because he has this alibi and because he's been so willing to help with the investigation all the way along, oh, yeah. the cops are like, it's not this guy. And so they keep on investigating people and, and they're about to eliminate Harry as a suspect until they question Harry's older brother, Adri. So several hour, after several hours of questioning, Adri breaks mm. and spills the beans. Mm. Or as they say in Minneapolis, <laughs> he Mabel Bartleson's all over the interrogation room. <laughs> Karen. It's been, it's been five months. Five months. You've been saving that one up. I'm sorry, but I laughed so fucking hard when I wrote that in the hotel room. I was like, this is what I'm in it for. Okay. Okay. You got this. Thank you. We're going to make it to page eight. Okay, so 
Adri admits to the cops that Harry has been plotting Kitty's murder for weeks. Turns out that Harry had persuaded Kitty to take out a life insurance policy for herself with Harry as the beneficiary. Yes. Um, this was before Dateline when people didn't know not to do that. He then goes to his brother, Adri, and he asks Adri to murder Kitty for him, mm. to be his hitman. Of course, Adri refuses. Their interaction scares him so much, though, his own brother, his mm-hmm. little brother, that um, on November 30th, 1894, Adri goes to the family lawyer, a man named Levi Stewart, and tells him what Harry has asked him to do. But Levi Stewart is like, okay, talk to you later. And doesn't do anything and doesn't take it seriously. Shit. So meanwhile, because his uh, older brother said no, Harry goes to the Ozark Flats janitor, Klaus Briggs, and he asks him to be the hitman. And Klaus um, also tries to refuse, but Harry won't take no for an answer. And he keeps going back and visiting Klaus every day in his basement room at the Ozark Flats. And he alternates between making Klaus grand promises of financial reward and just outright threatening him until he finally says he'll do it. Shit. So... Um, Blixt explains to the police how weirdly controlling Harry is, saying, quote, he fixed me with his eyes. Oh, it should be a German accent. Mm -hmm. He fixed me with his eyes. (laughs) I won't do that. (laughs) I won't do that. He fixed me with his eyes. I couldn't say no when he looked at me that way. Nobody could. At one point, Blixt says that Harry's tone becomes violent, and he says to Klaus... Every time I go up to her room, she puts, and she puts her arms around me, I would like to put a knife in the goddamn bitch. Oh. Wait, there's more. <laughs> if there was a dog and her, I would rather shoot her and let the dog go. Oh, what a dick. This is just small talk for Harry. Klaus is like, anyway, I have to go mop a bunch of stuff, so. <clears throat> okay. Both Klaus Blixt and um, Adri Hayward tell the police that they believe that Harry has somehow hypnotized them. Mm. Yes. So this was a time where mesmerism was kind of big and culturally a thing. And people were like, oh, you can be controlled. You know, someone can control you with their mind. Mm. Um, And they also, um, it was also, well, this was around the time where... uh, this is why Harry Hayward would later be referred to as the Minneapolis Svengali. Um, and if you don't know who Svengali is, I didn't either. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we can always ask Wikipedia, and it says, <laughs> Svengali's a character from the 1895 novel Trilby by George de Maurier, and in it, Svengali transforms a young woman named Trilby, why, into... <laughs> A great singer by using hypnosis. Oh. And then she's unable to perform without Svengali's help, and then she becomes entranced by him. And the name usually refers to a person with evil intent who dominates, manipulates, and controls someone, usually an artist. Mm. Pretend like you always knew that. Um, <laughs> here's a picture of, that's Svengali, and that's uh, Trilby. Okay. And I think... Racist. Yes, for sure. Oh, got it. Very much so. You think what? Well, I was going to say, I think the person that would play him in the movie of the week uh-huh. is clearly... Oh! Yeah. A hundred percent. The Wicked Witch of the West, Margaret Hamilton? Yeah. Okay. So I just, I saw this and I was like, oh my God, I've done it again, right? <laughs> High-fiving myself. 
Then I remembered this story. Do you guys know that in 1973, they actually had Margaret Hamilton appear on Sesame Street? And it traumatized <gasps> children so badly, they never ran the episode oh again. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Literally, she flew over Sesame Street, dropped her broom. Gordon got the broom <laughs> and wouldn't give it back because he's like, why are you on Sesame Street? And then she starts threatening people <gasps> that she's going to turn Big Bird into like a feather duster and she's going to turn Gordon into something else. And the only person that likes her is Oscar the Grouch. Yeah. Oh my. This is just, I tell the story to the millennials because you think we're exaggerating when we say that in the 70s they did not care about children. <laughs> and this is just one more piece of proof. Yeah. Let's scare the shit out of them. Yeah. Today. On their favorite show. Yeah, on the calmest, chillest yeah. show where it's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. A witch. <laughs> okay. Anyway. That was great. That was quite a sidebar. Sorry. No, we're I almost done. It. We loved it. We're here for it. Don't, don't, don't. I, I reject it. I reject you. I reject you, Satan. So on December 6th, 1894, three days after Kitty's murder, police arrest Harry and his older brother, Adri, and the next day, they arrest janitor Klaus Brixt. Um, now I'm mispronouncing his name because of my German accent. Klaus Blixt is scheduled to be tried first, and then Harry's scheduled to be tried second. But the prosecutors end up switching the dates because they're afraid that if Klaus is tried and found not guilty, then they will not mm. be able to um, prosecute Harry. So Smart. on January 21st, 1895, Harry's trial begins, and the lawyer, William Irwin, is considered the best lawyer in the area. And basically what he's... Uh, his strategy is he's going to say that Adri is insane. And so that basically takes out that makes his whole story uh, non-credible mm -hmm. and that he, his testimony can't be used. But the judge disagrees saying, quote, well, I don't see he, that he's any more insane at present time than the attorney is. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. Damn, Daniel. <laughs> so at one point in the trial, um, Harry is called to talk, to give his account of what happened. He denies any involvement. He accuses his brother Adri and Klaus Blixt of the ones who planned, um, killing Kitty. Mm -hmm. So the prosecution, they call, uh, a, like 136 witnesses to the stand, including Adri and Klaus. And Adri and Klaus deliver the most convincing testimonies. And, uh, the whole thing lasts for 46 days. Yikes. On the last day, Friday, March 8th, 1895, the jury deliberates for just under three hours. <laughs> so they're like, do we even have to leave the room yeah. or can we just say, let's get this over with. Yeah. 45 days and that, and today's fucking time. <laughs> That's 14 years, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. That's a spinoff podcast <laughs> of your podcast. How many days in, in days time? Right. Three days later, oh, sorry, after those three hours, they come back and find Harry Hayward guilty of first-degree murder. And three days later, the judge sentences him to death by hanging. Oh, shit. Despite this death sentence, Harry seems to be in good spirits. <laughs> Great. Yeah, under that, I just wrote psychopath. <laughs> psychopath. Uh, he maintains his intimacy. In, oh no! Oh. He, oh no. He <laughs> almost there. You're almost there. He maintains his Entenmann's coffee cake. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> delicious. He maintains his innocence. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> he, 
And he <laughs> you jo- got that. Yeah, thank you. He jokes around with reporters, and in prison, of course, he's, he charms his way into getting a bunch of special um, permission for things, because it, he is the way he is, and then, of course, tries to escape at one point. Um, so then they catch him, they are ashamed that they were tricked, and they put him in isolation. Um, <laughs> and then on uh, December 10th, the evening before the hanging, Harry agrees to give a full confession. Mm. Um, so uh, his cousin, a Edward H. Goodsell interviews him um, while a court stenographer takes down the transcript. And basically, in this interview, Harry admits that n- not only to the murder of Kitty Gang, but also um, to illegal gambling, arson, and, oh, three more murders. So, yeah. The first murder he admits to is of a 20-year-old girl he met in Pasadena, California. What? What? He lured her, oh, there it is. He lured her into a secluded area of the Sierra Madres, which is a, a national forest. So I'm like, the secluded area of the Sierra Madres? Um, that one corner that's away from all the other trees? What the fuck are you talking about? A secluded area of the Sierra Madres. He robs her of $7,000. 7000 which is in today's money... 600000 800,000, 900. It's 188,000. Shit. I said, did I say 200 first? No. I mean, like, way back. (laughs) Good night. (laughs) He robs her of her, a ton of money, shoots her in the back of the head, and buries her in the woods. Okay. Then he robs and murders a consumptive near Long Beach, New Jersey, and takes $2,000 from that person, from a man, that man, which is $54,000 today. That's right. And dumps his, <laughs> dumps his body in the Shrewsbury River. And the third murder was of a Chinese man in New York. They got into a fight over a card game. Harry beats him up and then, get ready, and if you don't like bad things, put your fingers in your ears. What are you doing here? <laughs> oh, this is the second get the fuck out. Um, oh no. He beats him up and then jabs the pointy leg of a chair into the man's eye no. and sits down on the chair <laughs> and kills him. Oh god. That sucks. It's Just in case you're on the hot guy's side. <laughs> Wow. So, then, at midnight on December 11th, 1895, Harry is led to the gallows, and when asked if he has any last words, he rambles on, giving a flippant, narcissistic monologue. (laughs) Shocker. Um, But he does, at the 11th hour, finally tell everyone that his older brother, Adri, had nothing to do with the murder. And here's a picture of him right before... What? Right before his hanging. Is that real? Yeah. I'm scared. It's either real or there. It's a film test with Ben Affleck playing yeah. in the biopic that we're going to make. I am s- scared. We're That's all him. going to have nightmares tonight. Yeah, he's not great. <laughs> well, you might be happy to know that they finally pull the lever. He drops. Um, but I wrote. But like any blowhard sociopathic narcissist, he doesn't die right away. Uh. He hangs for ten minutes. Holy shit. Don't forget the chair thing, though. (laughs) His death is finally declared at 2.25 a.m., and that is the hypnotic story of the Minneapolis Spingarn. Wow. 
great fucking job. That was great. Yeah. What a dick. Right? Uh, do we have time for a do it. hometown? Thank you. Here comes Vince. Oh. Let's do it. Hometown. <laughs> hometown time. <laughs> I'd like to know more about this 20-year-old woman with the equivalent of $188,000. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a sum. Oh, right. dare you. I'll be out and about over there by that exit sign. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank All you. All right. Couple rules. We know you're excited. It's exciting. Everybody thinks they have the best story. <laughs> I hate this. But here's a couple ways that we're going to guide you to realize whether or not you do have the best story. Oh, yeah. Let us help you. First of all, it should be local Definitely to Minnesota, but hopefully to this area, mm-hmm. Minneapolis or St. Paul, or the outlying regions. Mm-hmm. We love an accent. <laughs> um, but honestly, if you come up here with some, uh, this happened in Dallas, everyone hates your guts. Yeah. I don't know like how else to convey that to people, but people are always like, I'm the exception to the rule. You're not. You're it. Please. Um, it should be a concise story that you know all the details to that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, please. And that's not just for tonight. That's for life. <laughs> for real. Don't make people listen to you work your dumb shit out all the time. Um, and that's, then also... No, go ahead. Oh, I think that's it. You can't be so drunk you can't tell your own story. Don't point at someone whose name, whose story you don't know, because I'll fucking come after you. <laughs> uh, and good luck, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Remember, Stacy had a great one. Can I have the lights up, if possible? Uh, Look at this. I'm so scared. I hate oh you. Oh, my God. Be careful, you guys. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Look how I am. Oh, my are. God. <laughs> Holy crap. Yes. I nice work. Gravity's working up there. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, that's scary. It's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Eve, here she is. Hi. Okay. What's your name? Nicole, yes. Nice to meet you. It's Nicole, everybody. Nicole. Here you go. Come here. Nicole, where are you from? I think it's on. It's on. Pop up? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I live in South St. Paul. Cool. Great. Go Packers. No? Okay. (laughs) And Cougars. I'm really nervous. I know, right? It's scary. Uh, Do you? What do you do for a living? Do you want to say? Um, I'm a a teacher and a theater director. Yeah. Yeah. We just. I just closed High School Musical a couple weeks ago. Are you serious? Awesome. We're all in this together. You You got this. Yes. So um, when we were searching for a house about five years ago, five and a half years ago. We had a realtor who was very hip, like the hippest realtor ever. He's in a band, and he has a construction company. Anyway, so we're looking for houses in South St. Paul, St. Paul, and we're in Como area. Everybody knows where Como is. By seven point, it's by seven corners. Not really, but okay. um, Okay. (laughs) Okay. 
so we're in that area looking at a house that we can afford, and our realtor tells us there's this house nearby that's like $150,000 less. Yes. <laughs> You're getting excited. Yes. Aren't you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, that's like $150,000 less. It's a craftsman bungalow with all the woodwork. It's what we want, right? We can't afford the taxes, but we're in the area, so we say F it and go over there, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know. Okay, so... <laughs> um, so we go in the house, and it's gorgeous right away, but I turn to my husband, and I say to him, "This something's weird, and I'm not usually a person who would ever vocalize that. So we're looking around. Our son is with us. He was four or f- three or four at the time, and he's running around the house, you know, like kids do. He's in the bathtub and up and down the stairs, and yeah. Um, <laughs> the, yeah. Okay. Well, great. All right. So the, la- the, um, the realtor says, hey, guys, can you come in the kitchen for a second? I hadn't been in the kitchen yet, and so there's sticker, like, leftovers of stickers on the cabinets, on the, you know, and none of the hardware is there. It's a beautiful, like, farmhouse kitchen, and I was like, oh, this is amazing, but why is all the hardware gone? Mm -mm. And why do I feel creepy? And so our realtor says, come and look at this, and he's got the disclosures. And he says, I've been doing this for 15 years, and I have never seen this. And we had actually been joking about, like, what if we see a murder house? And we pull up the carpet to see the wood floors, and there's a blood stain. And we were very excited about the possibility of that happening, <laughs> to be truthful. Yeah. Um, and so he shows us the page, and the number one disclosure says, quote, unquote, house is the, form, is the site of a former crime. That's it. And he's like, I've never... I've never seen this in the state of Minnesota. You do not have to disclose, as far as I know, that oh. it's a murder house. Some okay. places you oh. do. All right. Um, and so I'm like, this is super weird. We go out to the garage. We're poking around in the garage, and our kid is like up in the loft, and he like almost falls down. And I'm like, okay, we got to get out of this joint. So we leave. And of course, we get in the car. What's the first thing I do? Google. Yes. And so my husband's like, are you seriously doing that? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, yes, I am. This is like my dream come true slash my nightmare come true. And so <laughs> it's both. And so um, it turns out, <laughs> so there was this couple, nice young couple, bought this house, had a little boy, 18-month-old boy. Um, the husband was kind of a ne'er-do-well. He'd been in prison prior, um, had a drinking problem, but had kicked it when he met the love of his life. Um, she was a young Target executive. Yeah. Well, shout out, Target. Um, up and coming, very popular in the company, and everybody knew her, and so one day, um, actually on New Year's Eve, he had gone to their parents' house. He had stolen a handgun out of the closet. And uh, it turns out he had kind of had enough of his wife getting on him about drinking. She had found a bottle of vodka in their car after they got back from church, you know. Uh. <sighs> and he decided that was the night, I think it was January 6th. 2013. Yeah, January 6th. Okay. Um, Sorry. And uh, so he had come home, shot her in the head while the 18-year-old was in bed. 18-month-old. 18-month-old, not year-old. Yes. Got it. That would be, yeah. Um, And I don't know, I never did find out if he left the kid at home or if he took him with to go to the hardware store to get the supplies. So he came home and in 
the bathtub where my child was playing dismembered her body. Uh. This guy's name, and I don't even want to say it, but his name was fucking Steven. Steven Johnson. And I think her name was like Mina or Mina. Um, Anyway, so he puts her in totes and then sticks her in the garage where we hung out for a while. Uh. Right? So a couple days goes by, go by and he, oh, and he had gone and parked her car at the car park where she parked every day. Mm. Um, and then he sent her a, a text to throw off the case. Just so gross, right? And he called her mom and like chatted with her and stuff. So, yeah. So eventually he calls one of his buddies from prison who lives in White Bear Lake. Go Bears, right? <laughs> We only have 20 more minutes. Okay. <laughs> and he says, hey, I got something to uh, store in your garage. You mind if I do that? Right. So he figures out what it is. And he does the right thing because he was on parole. And he calls the police. And uh. I, as far as I know, he's down in Stillwater still. So. Uh. Oh. Yeah. But so stay sexy and don't get in the tub. Did oh. you buy the house? We did not buy the house. We couldn't afford the taxes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Amazing. That was That's amazing. It. That was so good. Perfect. <laughs> Nicole, everyone. Nicole, everybody. Excellent job. <laughs> Great job. Do you, do you want that Zac Efron? Oh, wait. Yeah. yeah. Give her the... Yeah. We're giving you... Yeah. We can't take it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Take care of Zac Efron for us. Love him like we loved him. We would have taken him home. We would have to buy him an extra ticket. Yeah. I just can't. That's crazy. You guys. Oh. My heart and my bladder are so full <laughs> right now. Thank you so much. That was an amazing, amazing oh. show. You guys are a great, great crowd. Thank you. Uh. I was just saying, I was saying to Vince... Because I love jinxing shit. How fucking incredible and easy and like like well this tour has gone, and how lucky we are that like it's been fucking cool. Yeah, and it's all because you guys are here for us and support us and sell out fucking theaters. So we have to do another night. Yeah, it's amazing. Our minds are blown yeah, constantly. And, and it's it's so awesome because when we do get to meet people after, like every person that comes up is somebody that we feel like we know and we would hang out with. It's we're all the same. It's so fucking <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. And it's such a great feeling. It's such a beautiful thing to see too, to watch you guys build this community and connect with each other and support each other and we get the fucking credit for it. But you guys are the ones that are doing it yeah. and we will never ever be able to thank you enough. So thank Thank you so, so much. And of course, please stay saved and do God's missions. That's first and foremost. But more than that, stay sexy. And thanks, Minneapolis. Thanks.